Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, We'll be in verses 19 through 30 today, Um, and we'll get there here in just a little bit. But first, I want to draw your attention to, there's an ancient document called the Apologeticus. Uh, You kind of got to be a nerd to have heard of that before, but um, it's an early Christian text from around 195 AD and was written by a fellow named Tertullian who was the first Christian writer out of Africa. And the text contains a line that's often, uh, again, quoted this way. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's pretty powerful, isn't it, from Tertullian? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He's saying it's precisely the persecution of the church that leads to the birth and strength of the church. There's a more literal translation from that line in Apologeticus, and it's even more stark and clear in what it's saying. Listen, this is literally what it says. We multiply when you reap us. The blood of Christians is seed. Do you hear that? We multiply when you reap us. The blood of Christians is seed. That's exactly what we're going to see in our text uh, today. But before we get there, I want to recap kind of where we've been so far in the book of Acts and in our, in our journey. We, before the book of Acts, of course, saw that Jesus himself was executed, just as he said he would be. Jesus, uh, we saw, then rose from the dead, just as he said he would. Jesus then sent the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts just exactly as he said he would do. Uh, And we've seen that as this church is sent out in the power of the Spirit of God, that kind of at the same time, darkness in the hearts of people who are opposed to God has risen to oppose the people of God. And we've seen persecution. Uh, We've seen people killed, notably Stephen, uh, a great spirit-filled deacon of the church. Uh, The narrative in Acts then kind of zoomed in on several people, uh, notably Paul, who uh, was leading the persecution uh, of the church and later becomes a missionary for Christ. Um, Last week, we saw the apostle Peter be sent out sort of as a missionary via, uh, obviously by the Lord, but through this man named Cornelius, Peter is commissioned for the gospel. We've seen that God is now taking the good news about Jesus, the gospel, to non-Jews, Gentiles uh, as well. So now the passage this week kind of returns to the bigger narrative that it's actually where I left off last time I preached way back in uh, Acts chapter 8, where we see after sort of a, not sort of, a really brutal execution of Stephen the deacon by stoning, that that persecution spread to the entire Christian community in that area, and they are fleeing for their lives. They're being driven out of Jerusalem. So what will the result be, do you think? 
What would the result be when a man is martyred? And when Christians are persecuted so badly, they have to flee for their lives. What do you think is going to happen? Tertullian already told us, didn't he? He said, we multiply when you reap us. The blood of Christians is seed, he said. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 11, uh, like I said, verse 19. We're going to read verses 19 through 30 together. I'll be reading from the ESV. That'll be up on the screens, and you can follow along in your copy of the Word of God. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus, made faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That's Paul, by the way. And when he found him, He brought him back to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And we'll stop there uh, for today. So this account, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of background. This account is taking place in a city named Antioch. That may not mean a whole lot to us now, but it meant a whole lot back then. This is a really prominent city. It was founded by one of the generals of Alexander the Great, It was the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. Only Rome itself and the city of Alexandria were bigger and more influential. Antioch was a melting pot kind of place. Uh, It had influences from people all over the place. Um, It had a high emphasis on intellectualism and political life. Now, the gospel is coming into this area. It's not being piped in. It's being brought in by followers of Jesus, by people who have embraced the gospel. And as God saved new people from their sin, reconciled them to himself through Jesus, a new church is born in that area, just like it had been born in Jerusalem before, where the people had been driven out from. Now they're in Antioch doing the same thing. And this church, actually, if you fast forward in history, this church in Antioch became a hub for like a church planting movement all across the Roman Empire. It's really an amazing thing. So let me bring it to us here today, I would say that here in Asheville, the equivalent of the Roman Empire with all of its various influences, its wide-ranging beliefs, its diverse people groups, its mixed subcultures have come to us. I, I believe that those things would describe us where we are. So question for you, would it be too bold to ask then whether this new little church, Reach Life Church, might be used by God 
in the way that that new little church in Antioch was used by God. You realize next week, uh, James mentioned it in the welcome and announcements, we'll be celebrating our fourth anniversary as a church. We're toddlers. You guys realize that? We are to- we're toddlers, man. We're new. We're, we're new. Um, could God use us, even as toddlers, in Asheville, this melting pot of a place that we find ourselves in? I think it would be foolish to presume that God would do so like he did in Antioch. We shouldn't presume anything upon God. But I also think it would be foolish to think that God couldn't. I think it's completely possible for God to use us precisely because he's still God now like he was then. We're, we are God's people just as much as the Christians in Antioch were God's people. Are we not? Aren't those things the same? And so I believe uh, that we all can agree on that. At least I, I, hope, I hope that we can. I believe that God really can use us. I think he already is, um, in fact. So as we've said throughout this series, we're going to continue to take a look at the early church in the book of Acts to find out, okay, how can we best navigate our culture? Let's look at how God birthed the church in general and look at this us, this new birthing church, just in our fourth year of existence, and and try to navigate things in a gospel-centered, biblically-rooted way. Right, That's what we're trying to do. And I truly believe that as we do that, as we align ourselves with God's design and God's mission for the church, that by His grace He'll use us um, for His glory. Uh, so, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want us to notice in that first section of the verses, 19 through 21, is that the gospel is planted when Jesus saves and commissions people. And we'll spend most of our time on this, this first little section here today, but I want you to think some things through with me. Reach Life is a church plant, and that a church plant is a brand new church work that is started in a, uh, in a community among a people. It's, a, it's sort of a from scratch sort of thing. So you, it's planted in place. Now we call this process planting a church, but because the church is supposed to be all about the gospel, really what we're trying to do as, as, a, as a church family is plant the gospel. You realize that? We're trying to plant the gospel in our own lives, among one another, and in the community around us and in our spheres of influence. We're trying to plant the gospel. And as we go about being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus, we see this new church being born and grown and strengthened. And by God's grace, we'll see other churches grown and strengthened uh, for His glory. And so the gospel is planted when Jesus saves and sends people to kind of continue the mission. And that's what we see in the first section of our passage today. Antioch was, I didn't tell you something about Antioch. It's also, at the time, was known to be highly pagan in its worship and highly debauched in its lifestyles. That was, that was Antioch. It was a very uh, religiously pagan place in a very morally uh, dark place. Um, Now, history tells us that Rome fell from within, right, because of the corruption within Rome. But check this out. This may be something you didn't know. A first-century Roman poet, Juvenal, lamented the evil in Rome because he said Rome was so evil because of all the filth pouring into it from Antioch. 
That's crazy, man. If you think about it, that was Antioch. Antioch was a lost, dark, and wicked place in need of the gospel. Something else about Antioch, I told you it was a melting pot. There were 18 different ethnic groups in in Antioch, and they were constantly going at it with each other. They had skirmishes all the time. They had riots among one another in Antioch. Antioch was a divided and violent place in need of the gospel. Now, unfortunately, I hope you recognize some of those descriptions. Isn't that where we are? I mean, isn't that where God is planting us? I think it's very similar. I think they're very similar to our commission that we've been given. Now, notice I used a very specific word there. I said, isn't it similar to where God has commissioned us? You notice that word, us. You know, a lot of times when we think of a church plant or a missionary, we think of the church planter, like the lead pastor of that church plant, or the missionary who is a vocational missionary. That's what they do for a living, and they are sent off, uh, commissioned by a church, sent to a foreign land to plant the gospel in that new land. But I used the word we, didn't I? Notice who it was that was planting the gospel in this strange, dark, violent, divided place of Antioch. It was the ordinary disciples of Jesus. The apostles are not on this scene yet, are they? These are people fleeing from their lives, by the way. They're under threat of death, and they know it because they watch Stephen get killed. Right? They're next. They're fleeing for their lives. These are regular, quote-unquote, Christians. And they're the ones planting the gospel. They're the ones planting this new church They are the missionaries, and hello, I just want to, spoiler alert, you are the missionaries, right? I think that's part of God's message to us today in in this passage. Um, Like I said, we know on on the other end of history now that this church in Antioch became a church planting hub for the entire Roman Empire. So all started by these lay people. It wasn't some charismatic uh, leader riding in on a white horse like Gandalf or something. It wasn't like that. They started by everyday people who had experienced the miracle of being born again by the grace of God, right? And they were sent out um, by persecution, and they wanted people to know. So let me encourage you, stop and think for just a minute. I want you you to see if you are on this list. We're just going to ask a few questions. See if this describes you. If I say, can you say for yourself, I have experienced the life-saving grace of the Father through Christ Jesus, the Savior. Is that you? Is that you? Check, right? That's you. Okay. Can you say, I know the good news about Jesus and that others can be saved by him too? Is that you? Check, right? Good. Okay. I live in a place and know people that desperately need to know Jesus and the good news that he can save them. Is that you? Check. Okay. Lastly, I have been commissioned by Jesus to plant the gospel in the lives of these people. Is that you? Well, trick question, because if you answered in the affirmative to the first question, I have experienced the life-saving grace of the Father through Christ Jesus, the Savior, then you have been commissioned. Check. Right? That's you. That's all of us. Um, All followers of Jesus are by default missionaries for Jesus. We just are. 
Now, truthfully, we each bear fruit differently according to God's grace to us, God's gifting to us, and to how seriously we take our mission. But from what I know from my own life and from experience with uh, making disciples, the biggest variable between uh, God's gifting of us and how seriously we take our mission, the bigger variable of the two is how seriously we take our mission. And that oftentimes determines our fruit. And by the way, just a quick uh, reminder, these people were here doing this because of persecution. I've said that a few times, haven't I? They weren't sent out by some mountaintop experience. You know, like, like the Spirit of God didn't descend as a dove upon them and send them out. They were in a situation in life that did not look a whole lot like commissioning. They were, they were f- feared for their lives, as we might say in Oakley, where I'm from, right? They were scared. And, and now they're being driven out of Jerusalem where the church is doing great and good to this cesspool of Antioch. What in the world are they going to do? So, But haven't we seen this time and time again throughout the book of Acts? What the enemies of God mean for evil, God means for good. Have we not seen that? We saw that in the book of Genesis too. God even means it for the good and salvation of his enemies. Do you realize that? That's incredible. It's incredible. So these early Christians weren't waiting on some sign to tell them whether they were missionaries or not. No, they knew they already were missionaries because they were Christians. So when they're persecuted and they have to flee, when they found themselves in this spiritually uh, and morally and civically dark place, what do they do? They did what disciples of Jesus always do. They tell other people about Jesus, precisely because it's a spiritually, morally, and civically dark place. They sought to plant the gospel in the hearts and minds of the people around them, and even in the culture around them. Wherever they found themselves, whatever circumstance they found themselves in, they continued the mission. If you've been in the military, man, you know that's Charlie Mike. Continue the mission. Man, you may be low on rounds and low on rations, but there's a mission to do. Uh, let's get at it. Charlie Mike, man, keep going. That's what these guys did. That's what these early, just plain old Christians did. They, knew what they, they did what they knew to do because Jesus himself had laid out the pattern for them already, didn't he? How did Jesus go about his mission? Charlie Mike, man. Right, Jesus, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus was faithful to the Father and his mission from the Father, even unto death, death on a cross. And so when these early Christians are like, man, we're being persecuted, what do we do? We look to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus died for his enemies. Jesus died for the sake of the gospel. Jesus died for me because I was his enemy. Right? And so they, they had no question what to do. We know, we know what to do. Continue the mission because it's Jesus' mission, and that's exactly what they did. So the gospel was planted, a new church was born as God saved and commissioned people. Um, let there be no doubt. This same Jesus who set the pattern for them and commissioned them sets the pattern for us and commissions us as well. We're called. Let's do it now. Verse 20 uh, then told us that even though some of them went to people who looked like them and thought like them, they were Jews and they only went to Jews. Others followed the Lord through that vision he gave Peter. Remember that uh, the gospel's for the Gentiles also. 
and they took the gospel to others who did not look like them or think like them. Uh, It says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now these were people whom Jesus had saved from different backgrounds. Notice they were from, from different cities, Cyprus or areas, Cyprus and Cyrene. But they spoke the language of the people that, were, that was around them. They spoke the Greek language. So these Christian Jews from Cyprus and Cyrene, where Greek was the dominant language, they knew Greek, were now in Antioch, and they're talking to the Hellenists. These are Greek pe- Greek-speaking people from all sorts of cultures. God was using them with the giftedness that he give them had given them for them to share the gospel in a way that people could understand. Verse 21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So it says God himself was with them on the mission. And can we just know that he always is? Can we know that? When we go out in truth and in love to share the gospel in the name of the Lord Jesus, he is with us. He he made that promise. You may remember the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus tells them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And listen, and behold, look, Jesus says, check this out, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know that Jesus is good for his word? He is. And that word to the disciples then is the same to the disciples now, us. When we go in his name making disciples, Jesus is with us. When we continue his mission, it's his mission, is it not? He is with us on his mission because he does not drop his mission. If, you, um, if you've ever been, how many of you, okay, we're going to go back old school now and check our, our church roots how many of you uh, grew up in a church environment or have ever been part of door-to-door evangelism? Anybody? <sighs> Scary. Man, listen, I feel very comfortable talking to uh, non-Christians, but in that environment, I was scared to death. <laughs> scared to death. Um, those of you who have done that know what it's like to feel like you are out on a limb, man. Like, oh my goodness, it's just me and Jesus. In the getaway car out there is me and Jesus. You, you, man, you are clinging to the Lord at that moment more than you ever have in your life. It's scary. Maybe if you you haven't crossed into someone's door threshold to do that, maybe you've crossed across the cubicle at work, or you've gone into the warehouse at work, or whatever, or you've gone slid down on the bench on a sports team to try to talk to somebody about Jesus. You're out on a limb, man. You're out on a limb. Do you you know what that feels like? You're trusting the Lord, man. It's me and Jesus at that moment. I need need you, right? And me personally, there are very few times I feel closer to the Lord than when I am seeking to share the gospel with somebody else. And I'm telling you, Jesus has already said it. He is with me. He is with you when you're doing that. And of course, he's with us all the time. But he, he made a special promise there. He is with us. Um, so if you want to rekindle your walk with the Lord, think about it. You may reach a dry place in life. Eh, church. Eh, the Bible. 
You want to rekindle that, and I would encourage you to? Walk out onto that limb again. Walk out onto that limb where it's just you and Jesus, and you're talking to somebody about Jesus. That'll rekindle you. That, I'm telling you, if you do it in truth and in love, that I, I was sitting in a congregation. It's been a long time ago now. Pastor Vody Bauckham uh, was preaching, and he was talking about this Great Commission thing, and he said, you know, a lot of Christians love that low I am with you part. We love, we love that, Jesus, Jesus is with us. But we neglect that go ye therefore part. He said, do you want some of that low I'm with you? Then you're going to have to get you some of that go ye therefore. Right? I think he had a point. I think he had a point. I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, it that stuck with me. Um, so praise God. But we get the privilege of going ye therefore and of Jesus being with us. Official representatives of the king of heaven and earth. It's amazing. Um, so what do we see um, as the result? What follows from these early disciples? What, what's going on in, the, in spite of persecution? We see that many Gentiles, many non-Jews were saved just as God had told Peter they would be through that vision. So now there's a large group of new believers in this cesspool of Antioch comprised of Jews, comprised of non-Jews, and the gospel is being planted in Antioch, and the gospel is bearing fruit in Antioch because this new church has been planted, a new um, beautifully diverse church now to God's glory. If you're a note taker, the next thing the text tells us is what happens next. It just tells us that the church grows when Jesus' people are sanctified. Church grows when Jesus' people are sanctified. Just so it's fresh in our minds, let's read 22 through 26 again. So people are being added uh, and saved. It says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas was sent to Tarsus to look for Saul. Or so, I'm sorry, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So as the Lord is drawing new people to himself and making new disciples, there needs to be someone to help these new baby disciples grow. And the church in Jerusalem knows that, uh, where the gospel was first unleashed. They heard what's going on, and they know these new believers need to be established in their faith, and so they dispatch Barnabas, right? Go get them, go get them Barnabas, right? And now we remember Barnabas was known as the encourager, wasn't he? So Jerusalem says, okay, Barnabas, you're the guy. We're sending Barnabas. He's an encourager, and he, the, the church in Jerusalem wants him to do just that. Because we know, how many of you know that new Christians, before they develop their spiritual muscles, so to speak, it's really easy for them to slide back into their old ways? Anybody know that? Ways of the world. And even uh, established Christians, man, if we're outside of the fellowship for a while, we're not encouraged for a while, we, we slide. Right, spiritual uh, entropy. Right, it, everything runs down if we don't pour new, fresh uh, life into that thing. So um, Barnabas did just that, and notice what he told him. He didn't. He didn't uh, teach them to be true to themselves. 
did he? Barnabas didn't come and encourage him. Listen, man, you be true to yourself. You could do this thing. Some self-help. No, it says he taught them to remain true to the Lord Jesus. Right? That's what leads to real life, man. He was trying to tell them the truth, trying to tell them what leads to real life, and that is Jesus himself. Now, Barnabas was obviously a great encourager, but it seems, and God was using his work clearly, because it says even more people got saved. People were still added, but it seems that Barnabas, while being a very gifted encourager, needed to recruit somebody who was also a gifted teacher to help kind of further establish these new Christians. So he sends, or he, he goes on a search to recruit the apostle Paul. Good call, Barnabas, <laughs> right? Okay, we're building a basketball team. Who do we need? Michael Jordan, good call, right? Like, okay, so he got, he got Paul. Not, not, a bad, not a bad decision. Um, but what I want us to notice is that God used both Barnabas and Paul in establishing these new disciples. Barnabas didn't have to recruit somebody because God wasn't using his ministry. He had to recruit somebody else because God was using his ministry. He needed help. God was doing so much stuff and doing so many things. Barnabas has one gift set. I need people with other gift sets. There's so many people. How do I handle all these disciples? I need to go get Paul. I need to go get somebody to help me because God is moving. And I know God has gifted Paul, man, in a way that, that could really be used among these people. So question, who's the real MVP of this team? The Lord. The Lord is the real MVP of this team. He alone gives gifts to his people, does he not? So let that speak to us well today also. Part of being a gospel-centered disciple of Jesus is realizing that the church is best grown and sanctified. We mean that, that means made more holy when we're all working diligently in our giftings, when we celebrate the giftings for, of others, and we use both to make, grow, and unleash gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. So the, the church at Jerusalem made a great choice sending Barnabas. He's the encourager, man. These new Christians need encouragement. Remain faithful to Jesus. And Barnabas made a great choice in going to recruit Paul. Right, Both of them did a great job. Barnabas was being used to do what God built him to do. Paul was being used to do what God had built Paul to do. And the result, it says in verse 26, of these, these men using their gifts as given by God to grow the church, sanctify the church, it says, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. And you get the power of that? Do you know how strong that... Remember. Here's the power of it. Remember who these people were. These are the people who created so much filth and evil that it caused the downfall of Rome, according to one of their historians. These are wicked folks. Yet, these folks are called Christians. You know what that word means? Little Christ. It was a name given to them to kind of make fun of them. Because the people around them are like, man, these little disciples of Jesus are acting just like him. Well, hallelujah. I can't think of a better compliment, can you? Praise God. Right? The result of this type of ministry being done where gifts are being used and appreciated and, and people are being grown and sanctified is that these people look like Jesus now. These wicked enemies of God look and act and live like Jesus. Praise 
God, that's the gospel at work, man. I, I get fired up. Sorry about that. I'm actually not. Sorry about that. Uh, it's beautiful, man. I had a professor one time uh, named Mark Honeycutt. I'll never, this has stuck with me for like 17 years. Um, he said one time, it takes all God's people to do all God's work. It takes all God's people to do all God's work. And here, here's what I took away from that. God always supplies what it takes to do what he calls his church to do. God always supplies what it takes to do what he calls his church to do. So, I mean, if, if we see something that we think needs to be done in the life of the church and it's not getting done, I can think of, uh, how many reasons do I have? I can think of uh, five reasons. Either one, A, it's, it's not actually something God wants to be done. God doesn't want every church to do everything, right? So maybe that's not something God wants our church to do. Or maybe God does want us to do that, but not yet because he hasn't yet supplied the people and the gifting through which to do that thing because we know he supplies the gifts to do those things. Or God has supplied for that need, but the church hasn't recognized or doesn't appreciate the gift that's already been given to meet that need. Or the person possessing that gift is unwilling to operate in that gifting. And from experience, that's usually because they're being lazy. Let's keep it 100, right? Or because they're coveting someone else's gift. Or maybe, E, five, maybe that person doesn't feel worthy to use their gift for the Lord. And that's a gospel issue. That's not appreciating what Jesus says about us. We're listening to what we say about ourselves or our enemies say about ourselves or the enemy says about us rather than what Jesus says about us. Right? So here in our text in Antioch, let's see how it's supposed to, let's be reminded of how it's supposed to work out. It takes all of God's people to do all of God's work. And here we see that God saves people and gifts them to fulfill various roles in the life of the church. We see that the church mutually recognizes and appreciates their giftings as from the Lord. Each person is using their gifts as unto the Lord. And as a result, man, the church goes about being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So finally, we saw how this um, beautiful account of a new church being born in Antioch, it's not only uh, were these new gospel-centered disciples of Jesus made, not only were they grown, but they were also unleashed. Last thing I want you to know if you're a note taker, the church impacts the world as Jesus' people are moved to action. Let's read 27 through 30 again, again, so it's fresh in our minds. Uh, now, in these days, the uh, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Notice in verse 29, who made the decision to have this sort of impact? The disciples determined, did they not? This is talking about these new Christians, and these baby Christians in this church. These brand new fledgling believers decided on their own accord to get involved and do the work of the ministry. They saw a need, they decided to meet it and put it 
They put it into action via the elders of the church who had been encouraging and teaching them. And that's gorgeous. That's how the church was. That's beautiful, man. Uh, and you know what? I, I just, I just want to encourage you guys. Something that James and I talk about very frequently um, and it's that many of you guys are already doing that. And we praise God for you. Praise God for you. You see needs, you meet needs. You see people that need to be discipled, you make disciples, man. You need to see people to be encouraged, you go encourage them. Man, hallelujah. Um, uh, it's, that's, it's beautiful. We're, we're grateful to God. Uh, you guys are, are not only doing that, you're being that. You're being the church. Um, so, man, let's, uh, let's get challenged today. Let's get encouraged today. Uh, we, like those first Christians, find ourselves in a pagan, dark, morally corrupt, divided environment. It's increasingly hostile to the truths of the gospel, is it not? If you don't recognize that, you haven't tried to share the gospel. How can we stand? How can we fulfill what God has called us to do? How can we rescue those who are, in, who are perishing and they don't even realize they're perishing? The reason we can do that is because God is still God and we are His people and we are His church. I think He'll help us do that. I think He'll use us. Amen? Amen.